We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 47 months into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Marty Foster and Vince. It's good to have you both back this week. Vince, we'll start with you. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to see you again, Johnny. Good to see you. Marty, how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you very much for asking. Um, it's bloody miserable outside. I do hope um, when the summer comes and we're all put under hosepipe bands that um, everyone remembers what a horrible wet February uh, and, and January we, we've actually had and why haven't the water companies stored all this precipitation that is falling upon us right now? Hosepipe bans. That's interesting. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, is, that is really interesting. Yeah. I thought that uh, today I wanted to talk a little bit about the, uh, the Royal Navy, uh, and I suppose we can just start there given what you just said. Uh, and what better place to, to start than this? Because you said hosepipe bans. I'm assuming that would have to do with climate change or something to that effect. That's the excuse they'll use. Mm, no, the, these have been going on since the 70s, haven't they? Really? Yeah, yeah. The, the long, hot <clears throat> yeah. summer of 77 and, and before that. Basically, it's because our freshwater infrastructure is shit. There was a guy called uh, Basil Jet who developed the sewers and stuff for London. And I'm, I dare say he had something to do with how the, the waterways and the connecting reservoirs are all set up. And it's basically Victorian infrastructure, and it can't cope with the numbers of people that are drawing off the mains water these days. So, every, and there's leaks, you know, the water companies having, leaks, yeah. having been privatized, <clears throat> aren't doing the maintenance that they should be doing, and so that the system leaks like crazy. Uh, it's part of the cause of some of these um, sinkholes that have been occurring. You see them all over the world, and in more so in other parts of the world, but they have happened here as well, where the area around a water main has become so saturated with water that the surface just collapses. And it, it's down to that. It's down to not enough maintenance by these privatized water companies, many of which are French. Well, it kind of blows a hole in my theory of climate change to want to move into the, uh, the Royal Navy. So I really can't do anything about that. But I, I mean, they would use that as an excuse anyway, wouldn't they? If they could, they would. And they probably are. Yes, they will. Of course. Yeah. I, 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 dare say, I dare say that's what the water companies will say. But it's 
It is poor infrastructure. Even when Margaret Thatcher privatised them, part of the privatisation was that they would reinvest money into the infrastructure and replace um, damaged copper pipes with plastic pipes that weren't going to need so much maintenance, but they just never got around to it. They just decided to focus on making a lot of profit. Well, that's no surprise. Um, Marty, did you hear that the uh, the climate crisis is no longer gender neutral? It's no longer gender. It's or, so it's only it is gender neutral. I'm or something. I, is, I don't know. Okay, so climate crisis. What was it? Male before then? Well, I'm not because sure. I mean, let's face it. We get the blame for everything. Well, that is true. Yeah, uh, I'll have to double check. Uh, yeah, excuse me. Here, we go. climate crisis is not gender neutral, uh, according to the World Meteorological Associ- Organization. Uh, I went over this yesterday, just very briefly. Climate crisis is far from gender neutral. Women and men are affected differently by weather and climate, and therefore need gender sensitive information and services. Yeah, that sounds like bollocks to me. I don't know about you. What do you think, Vince? I, I don't. I have no idea what he just said. That sounded so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> now, going back to your WMO, Sulo, Salo, whatever her name was. Yeah. How how does climate change affect women any she, differently uh, than it does men? She doesn't say. She just says that um, women are affected. Women, was it women and children, women and girls are disproportionately affected by climate change. But doesn't doesn't elaborate on that. Well, I'll tell you what, what she's talking about. She's not talking about fully developed countries. She's talking about countries where women and children are still responsible for collecting water, you know, yeah. that kind yeah. that kind of thing. And my experience of it was actually in the West Indies, in the Bahaman chain, where they'd been hit by Hurricane Andrew uh, on the island of Eleuthera. And we went ashore to do, you know, repair water supplies, repair electric supplies and shore up houses and general stuff like that. We drove to this small village and um, all we could see was women outside with various brushes and stuff trying to clear up the debris. And we were there to restore water and restore power. And I thought, where are all the men? We had equipment and we needed assistance from the men. The men were all sat inside a great big bar, smoking ganja, playing low reggae music. And when I arrived at the door with an axe in one hand and a chainsaw in the other, kicked the door open and then ushered the men folk out into the street to help us with the with the task. So in that in those terms, I dare say she's right. She's talking about undeveloped countries where there is still a patriarchy where lazy men do next to nothing and the women do all of these kind of menial chores. So I can kind of see where she's coming from with that. But in the rest of the developed world, uh, climate change affects us all the same. Yeah, I think the the uh, the overarching statements could, have, as you say, could have been more specific, which is disproportionately affects uh, women and younger younger ladies in the third world. Yeah, and not that climate change is not is climate crisis is not gender neutral, but it is in the third world. Yeah, or isn't in the third world? Isn't in the, yeah? It's a yeah. big kind of titles. Yeah, yeah. So, right, we've covered that one. We've we've squared that away. Um, The United Nations should have by now, with all the money and charity money that's gone into places like Africa and South America um, and parts of Asia, should have by now fixed the problem of freshwater supplies to centres of population. So it's their f***ing fault. And the WMO um, is part of the UN. It's under their banner and they can sort their own shit out. Thank you very much. Moving right along to uh, bringing that problem to the first world, the Royal Navy, uh, according to a leaked paper that was provided by The Telegraph, says that they could make climate change courses compulsory 
saying that all sailors must be forced to attend online training and environmental issues. Well, if we in the armed forces, we get indoctrinated into all kinds of things. So why change. not? In, what, we're, why we're, not, we're going why to worry not, about artillery why, shells hitting penguins now or something? As long as they are environmentally friendly um, artillery shells, then, <laughs> then that's bombs. fine. <laughs> vegan bombs. No, look, they have to tick boxes. We've got hmm. all this kind of legislation that's 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 coming in. It's being forced through by a subverted civil service and subverted politicians, and of course that indoctrination will will go on. It's all about pushing the narrative, making the propaganda work, having everybody believe, or, or having truths that aren't necessarily the truth, but it's the truth that fits the narrative. Uh, that's something that I want to talk about a bit later on if we get the chance. I think this this is one of those things that is always going to change. And now that we're we're older, let's say, or not necessarily wiser, when I joined the army in 1981, 82, I would now say I'm with all this going on. I'm so glad I'm out of the forces because I wouldn't be able to handle this. But then when I joined in 81 and 82, the guys that were leaving at the end of their time were saying, "I'm so glad I'm leaving now because I couldn't stand to bear what you're about to be subjected to." With all the rules and regulations that have changed, but for me, it didn't really bother me. I'm sure if you if you speak to the people in the navy, they're probably they probably don't care. There's something just... you've got you've got to consider <clears throat> as well is that at sea, when I first joined up, when we got rid of rubbish or gash or garbage, um, it was all bagged up and it was tossed over the arse end of the ship. Sometimes we'd tape, you know, using duct tape, <laughs> tape a load of it together and use it as a floating target for our close close range yeah. weaponry, blow it to crap. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that anymore, and we haven't done it for quite some time. When you look back on it, it, it was a bad practice. And so the MARPOL, the Marine Pollution Laws, um, have to be reiterated out to sailors all the time. It's, a, it's an attitudinal learning objective. And the only way to do that is by regular exposure. So part of the climate change thing and part of the MARPOL regulations will be included in, in that training. So whilst I, I appreciate that it it's partially indoctrination towards the narrative, it also is to comply with uh, marine pollution regulations. I think it would be interesting to see exactly what's in the what's in the content as well. I can get on to it. it. I I can have a look in the defense learning environment and and do the course. So Mm, I was going to say, can you uh, take the course uh, specifically for research purposes? I'm going to have a look. I'm definitely going to have a look at that. Well, keeping with the Royal Navy here, uh, Peter Hitchens, are we familiar with who that is? Peter Hitchens? He's an author, columnist, conservative writer. Yeah. He did a piece in the Daily Fail and said that, I'm quoting, Britain needs a proper Navy to frighten off foes instead of this nuclear fantasy that is probably unusable, even if we can get the rockets to ignite. There were two tests this week from the uh, Trident missiles from the uh, HMS Vanguard, I believe it was, and both of them failed. They, According to reports, they fizzled out and flopped over into the sea just with the the dummy warheads on them. Uh, That's that's a big problem, if true. here's, Here's the thing. We don't make those missiles in the UK. They're made in the United States. Yes, there is that. The other thing is, the other thing is, how has this even got released? How has this news got out? The tests happen on a very regular basis. We have to prove to our ally in our special relationship that we are capable of of operating that deterrent. 
every couple of years and one of the different um, platforms goes out to America uh, to conduct these trials to prove that we are capable of operating that particular system. But it's done quite a long way out at sea and uh, it's hyper-classified during the, the, the course of the whole procedure. So tell me, how does that get into the daily file? Well, uh, unless it was deliberately leaked on purpose as disinformation. I don't know. Well, there is that. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm taking a risk. Even, is, all I'm, even, is all I'm saying. I'm taking a risk professionally, even commenting on on the news piece. But I, I my main concern is how has that hit the newspapers? Well, I I think, um, and this is just my guess, uh, and I'm I'm playing off the larger larger strategy here. You know where I stand on on what our adversarial countries in the East are actually doing, uh, namely Russia and China. Uh, they're going to need to make a move at some point because we're of the opinion at the moment that their economies are in the verge of collapse because they cannot change them over to military economies fast enough. Uh, and they're going to need to do something. And that's, as you've mentioned many times, that's going to put them on a war footing. Uh, we've just put five carriers into the Pacific theater, which means that they're expecting something, at least I would assume, within the next, I don't know, eight to 10 months. And then if you look at the number of Chinese nationals between the ages of 18 and 35 that we are apprehending on the southern U.S. border, you don't send a bunch of military age men into a country that you are said to possibly invade if you don't have a, a use for them in a specific amount of time because you risk certain things. You risk losing control of them and you risk losing uh, the ability to actually use them if they find out that they've been lied to in their own systems. And they say, wait a minute, uh, it's pretty good here. I don't believe all the stuff that I was indoctrinated with, with Marxism, Leninism or Maoism or whatever. And so I think I'm going to stay here and I think I'm going to enjoy life here. And they won't do what they're told. There is that. That is that is uh, one uh, way of looking at it. And it's possibly, I'd say at the moment, I'm about 60-40 that that's the truth of, of what we're being presented in terms of evidence. Yes, there are this many fighting age males from a particular nation coming across your southern border. Likewise, we've got fighting age males of another ethnicity. Um, and in fact, actually, Chinese and Vietnamese people have been turning up uh, inside um, uh, big trucks, inside big cargo uh, vehicles. Um, there was just a case... Yeah, there was a case just the other really? day where uh, I think 18 people were taken to hospital, the driver arrested uh, because these people had been in the back of a re refrigeration truck right the way across uh, Europe and then across the channel. But the other way to look at it is young men in a, in a society where social scoring is screwing everybody down they are the, the most likely that can just up and leave. And if they are genuine, they're not, they're not refugees. They're not asylum seekers because they are possibly not even charged with anything or under any actual legal threat in their own country. But because it's a Marxist totalitarian government, they don't f***ing like it. So they've tried to go somewhere else. And that, I'm just playing devil's advocate here that, that that could be the case. But like I say, I'm 60-40 leaning your way that it, it's an intentional thing. We keep saying they've sent them 
have they sent them or are these people just escaping of their their own free but will the, and accord? I, I watched, um, I don't know who he is, Brett Weinstein or Brett Weinstein. He was chatting to Joe Rogan about this and he was talking about 30,000 plus Chinese people coming across. But when they're coming across, they, they're coming from a different way, a different route to all the other people. Yes. When they then arrive in um, across the southern border, they get separated. They're not with the, the normal group. And then when reporters speak to them, he said, you'd normally expect if someone was fleeing their country, they would be more than willing to talk to you and they'd be happy that they were there. They would, they're not like that. They actually, they, he said, they border on um, being angry and put out that you're asking them questions because it's as if they've got a mission to do. They're doing each stage as they go along. And part of this was not having to speak to reporters on the southern border. They were to wait in this group and then they will be taken somewhere else. And he said, when you look at how many people have got from China into the, into the, across the southern border, and it's that they are, they say they watched it on TikTok or something. Yes, if they go I on TikTok, the they get all the, the info. Here. Okay, they get all the information from TikTok exactly where to go, who to meet, what to say to get across the border. This is the piece from 60 Minutes. Now, again, this is the very heavily left wing bias. 60 Minutes. Now, you know, if 60 Minutes is doing a piece on it, then it's got to be pretty bad. But anyway, here it is. wondered how all of these migrants knew about this particular entryway into California. The answer was in their hands. Oh, you learned on TikTok. Yeah. TikTok is a social media platform created in China. The post we found had step-by-step -step instructions for hiring smugglers and detailed directions to that hole we visited. Were struck by just how orderly and routine it all seemed. The migrants walked about a half mile down a dirt road and waited in line for U.S. Border Patrol to arrive so they could surrender. How much property do you have here? The land they're waiting on is owned by 75-year-old Jerry Schuster, a retiree. The whole world seems to know there's a way in and it's on your property. They're all doing this. They're all doing this. When they come over here, they come with the suitcases. They come prepared with the computers just like they got off on a Norwegian cruise ship yesterday. Schuster owns 17 acres just north of the border fence and a quarter mile outside of Yacumba Hot Springs, California, population 540. You're an immigrant yourself. Yes. Where did you come from? I come from Yugoslavia, and I left Yugoslavia. I went to Austria. I stayed there eight months. And I knock on this door. I didn't bust the door down to come over here. You came through the front door? I came through the front door. And what do you think about this? They, they don't care. They, 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 they come through their whole, like they come into their own country over here. Mm -hmm. And nobody do nothing about it. Well, Joe, why don't you hire a bulldozer and plug that hole up? Well, there is that. But and I have, as I have his, no problem. Uh, I have no problem with someone coming to a country legally. You know, I myself am a product of immigration if I want to get right down to it. So I inherently cannot be against it. But this idea that we're just opening the floodgates and, you know, the U.S. is not alone in this. You know, European countries are dealing with this uh, as well. But I don't see a way apart from uh, apart from actually just stopping it and having large scale mass deportations. I don't see a way out of it. But there have been no large. In fact, there haven't been any proper deportation. Yeah, that's none. the problem. It 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 all seems it's because, particularly with California, 
because of the the people that are in charge of California are firmly on the left. It, it seems that this is being allowed to happen. I mean, Texas has started to you know try and stop it, but it's being fought through the various houses of of your federal government as to whether or not what's happening in Texas to stop the border crossings is legal or illegal. So that I mean, when when your own government can't even make its mind up whether or not stopping illegal border crossings is legal, then you're on a hide into nothing. I mean, we're the same in the UK. So I might have sounded overly critical of the American government there, but my government is exactly the same. You know that it's fixed because did you see the bill that they tried to put in the border bill, which was a yeah. hundred and um twenty or hundred and thirty billion dollars? But only twenty billion was actually going to go to the border, and the rest was going to go to Ukraine and Israel. But in the border bill, the caveats were if you if because they didn't mention that on CNN and, and other stations, you have to you have to go to independent people who've actually read the bill or want to talk about it. There was one that said uh, a minimum of five thousand illegals are allowed to cross the border every day, and this will be brought into law. Um, but asylum seekers are not included on that. And at present, the government that's the administration running the country at the moment in America, so if someone comes across the border as they'd be briefed on TikTok and say, I'm an asylum seeker, it's not a question, they're all accepted as asylum seekers. The other caveat in there was that if anyone wanted to challenge that or change the bill if it went through, it had to be heard in a DC court. It couldn't be heard in a court in Texas or in California or Arizona. It had to go to DC where they wouldn't they wouldn't stand a chance. So what they were worried about was if Donald Trump gets in, he was going to say, close the border, start deportations. They would say that's against the law. Uh, if you want to challenge that, you have to go to court and you have to go to court in DC. And we all know from the yeah, a few days ago, he's not he's he's not doing too well in DC at the moment. No, yeah, he's, he's not doing well in New York either. Right. So I, again, Marty, you were talking about uh, that's the state of things in the U.S. I want to I want to get into this uh, this piece here. This is Nick Ferrari on LBC talking about the state of things within 48 hours of what's going on in the U.K. So this is not just subject to, to one of, or other of our countries. That's just one day, my friends, just one day. And last week in just 38, 36 to 48 hours, we had an MP being surrounded in his home because he has the wrong view on the Israel-Hamas conflict. We learned, learned of a Jewish theatre girl who was heckled and effectively forced out of a supposed comedy gig because of his faith, and he wouldn't stand up for the flag of Palestine when it was waved. Again, he was made for it. And we have the rather questionable decision of three people who were convicted of low-level terror offences, which could have carried six months in jail or an unlimited fine, all three allowed to walk free, all three allowed to walk free from trial, that was presided over by a judge who tweeted likes to pro-Palestinian messages and then sat in judgment of those three. Pretty worrying, isn't it? And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Where have you seen this behaviour before? Get your history books out. You don't even have to go back 100 years, little under. That's right, Germany in the 1930s, when those sort of policies were rife. And this is just another day. Statues being defaced. Babies' birth certificates being altered or, or defaced. What does it take for the penny to drop? Well, you can't argue with any of it because it, it's all happening. My problem with Nick Ferrari is the, the term gammon, which anyone who's white and middle-aged and male gets called now as a pejorative, um, is directly his fault because his big chubby cheeks superimpose perfectly onto a gammon joint. And uh, it's like 
I also feel sorry for any woman who's actually called Karen these days, you know, because um, this term about someone who complains, someone who gets in someone's face because of some misdemeanor is called a Karen. It's not fair. But getting back to what Nick Ferrari was saying, we we need to, uh, and I hate to quote him, but we need to drain the swamp. If our civil service and our political circles were not full of overly obligated people to the the ultra-rich, so pushing forward the WEF uh, globalist agenda, or were not completely subverted during their time uh, at whatever university learning history, politics and economics by left-wing, left-leaning, died-in-the-wall Marxist university professors and lecturers. So unless we have a clear out, we're going to continue to have this kind of decay within our society. And Carol, in his big book, is absolutely right. We are decaying as a society, and it's because of the subversions coming from two different directions, one being the ultra-rich agenda, the other being the Marxist agenda. But you need you'll you need a, an agent of change. And in the UK the 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 only person that's filled that hole, so to speak, is uh Farage. Yeah. <clears throat> and as soon as he looked like he was getting close to winning a seat in Parliament, everybody mobilized, went down to the constituency where he was going to uh was gonna win and they they poured thousands and thousands of pounds into it to make sure he didn't win and he didn't get a seat in Parliament. And the news uh, BBC and Sky News are just as guilty, is that they always paint him in the wrong light. It's only when you watch him on his channel on YouTube or he's on um, talk radio that you actually get to, you get to hear all of what he says and not just the, the sound bites that are edited to make him sound like some kind of loony. It, yeah, it is that. It's that, But again, I said this the other day, you know, they don't need spin doctors anymore because people who vote down strict party lines will put the spin on for the, you know, whichever party on their policies in their own head. They don't even need to do it because they are so partisan and it, we need to, to break that particular cycle of voting down party lines. And anyone who votes for Farage is, is a, a probably a true conservative, but certainly not a conservative in terms of the current ruling party in Westminster at the moment, which is far from conservative. But again, Farage, he made a couple of mistakes, just the same as Trump made some mistakes. Trump with Operation Lightspeed or Warp Speed or whatever Warp it was. Speed, yeah. Speed, speed. Yeah. Then you had Farage, as soon as the referendum had been concluded, left politics, pissed off to America, cozied up to the you know the, the ultra rich like Aaron Banks with his uh, medical healthcare insurance empire and, and things like that. So they they kind of let themselves down and proved themselves to not be, or, or certainly for me, give me a certain level of scepticism and mistrust of what they say. And yeah, we've said it time and time again, when they go out, when the press or the media go out to a protest or a rally, they always pick the dumbest individual in that crowd 
to to speak. And so that way they can be fairly sure they'll be able to get the idiot uh, sound bites that they need. And they do the same to Nigel Farage and Donald Trump, for that matter. Getting up to the uh, the last topic here, uh, you wanted to talk about the rewriting of history, which goes along, I think, with all of this. Uh, I think you want to get into that. And specifically, you wanted to reference a, a docudrama or something that's that's on ITV. I happen to have a clip of that, if you would like for me to play that first, or would you like to explain first, and then I'll play the clip, and then you can you know go on. Well, how do you want me to do it? Well, um, I'll start off by saying we, we know the phrase... History is written by the victors. Yeah, we've all heard that phrase. Mm -hmm. And I'm not at all sure if this is history being rewritten or if this is the first draft of history of the pandemic. Yeah, play the clip and then then we can talk about it. I'm not going to lie to you, Tommy. I know this is really hard, but... Catch it, you'll die. So basically means you don't even care about us. Oh my God, Tom, I am so careful. I promise you. You can't promise us you won't die. Sweetheart. I'm sorry, love. I told him you're fit and well. It'll be like the flu. He's obviously scared, you know? Have they eaten? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I should eat, so... We'll try again in the morning, OK? Yeah, she is a very good actress. Um, started off life, I think it was Coronation Street she kicked off in, in a in a soap opera when she was quite young. And she was also one of the main characters and, and held some of the most emotive storylines in Downton Abbey. And so when ITV want to produce something that tweaks emotions and punches up sympathy, they wheel her out into the role. So what are they now, trying to do? They're, they're trying to they're trying to now they're trying to document what happened and how the COVID how the COVID pandemic hit the UK and how it spread and how the government were ahead of it and they're trying to rewrite what actually happened as opposed to the the chaos that ensued and the changes, the flip flops. They're they're now trying to trying to paint it as being an organized uh, response to the pandemic. Is that what is that what it is? Not entirely. If it was made by a right wing media outlet that's what it would be but uh, at the moment the the first episode mainly concentrates on the fact that one or two patients uh with the right travel history were tested proved to have covid and were treated in isolation other patients were presenting in hospitals with the covid virus um, who didn't have a travel history that matched. You know, they hadn't been on holiday to China or northern Italy or somewhere, so they weren't tested. So they got onto the wards um, yeah. in general wards without all of the isolation and infection control measures in place and spread COVID like crazy. So mm. that was saying that the government weren't prepared, weren't planning properly you even had this particular actress as a gp or a, you know a, a cons- i don't know what level she'd be a not a junior doctor but certainly on the wards in the hospital asking for ppe and asking for tests of certain patients and being told no we've been told you can't have a test no you can't have that particular type of ppe it's reserved for those wards if you want to buy your own you can get it for 300 pounds on amazon 
Um, mm. That's an actual line out they of the... They actually use that line. Uh, yeah, that's a, a line out of the out of the program. And the one thing that it does do is gives anyone with the ability to think outside the box and see through bullshit that <clears> it was the, the level of fear-mongering by... Uh, what was his face? The one who had the affair and the one who uh, looks Neil like Ferguson. a cadaver. Professor Neil Ferguson from the Imperial yeah. College London, yeah. Who's the other one? Witty, Chris Witty. Chris Witty, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the level of fear ramped up. That didn't just affect the general populace. It affected the people working in healthcare as well. They were at levels of fear and paranoia creating a mass hysteria. And I was in hospital during that time. I had an unfortunate burst ulcer, uh, nothing to do with alcohol, I hasten to add, but I had an unfortunate burst ulcer and was blue-lighted into hospital, and once I'd recovered and had, I think I had seven units of blood put back into me, and I was talking to a nurse about the whole thing and said, look, it's it's winter, it's the normal NHS pressures, when we lose, I think, 130,000 people in the UK normally just to flu. That's mm. about how many we, we we lose. The fact that the numbers in, in the year when this program starts went up, it went up to about 160,000. So you're looking at 30,000 excess deaths, which they put down to everything was put down to COVID. Because I asked the nurse, where's all the flu cases? And she went, oh, there haven't been any. That's because everything was being diagnosed as COVID. <laughs> yeah, that's and what Julia, Julia Hartley Brewer was saying. She said, when you look at the ONS statistics for the second year, there were zero people dying of flu. So she said, great, we've cured the flu, but we haven't. It's just you're lying and saying that everyone's dying of COVID, not the flu. Yeah. Uh, and so mm. I, I got the impression that the the program itself was trying to emphasise the sudden inundation of patients because as soon as they got that dry, tickly cough, people were flooding towards the hospital because they were convinced they were going to die. It was still mm. really only the immunosuppressed that were going to um, have real problems uh, and possibly die from the infection, from the actual virus. So, yeah, they're, they're basically writing history. People nowadays are too lazy to read history books. They're quite often not educated enough. And I don't mean, no, I do mean our education system's been dumbed down. So people are dumber. They are not, you know, analysing these events themselves. They will sit back with a big bag of uh, potato chips or crisps, as we like to call them in the United Kingdom, uh, a beverage, and watch this docudrama and take that as this is what happened. Yeah, it's possible, yeah. And that's why I've got a problem with it. No, I understand that. Um, Just to your point, um, I do, I think, the uh, antithesis of everything you just said. I do read history books. I read a lot of them, and I read them quite frequently. I don't eat potato chips. If you'll notice here, I have a big bag of uh, walnuts. Uh, I like these. Uh Uh, And I also drink... Uh, not alcohol, uh, but I drink water. So th- there is that. So, I mean, I, I do just about the opposite of everything. It's it's not that Coca-Cola I just saw you tipping up there just a few minutes no, ago. No, I went, I, that was the that was a healthier option. I went indoors to get a drink. I realized the kettle <laughs> was going to take too long to boil. I had the choice between that or a bottle of London Pride beer. And actually, uh, you know, it's still 
early afternoon. I think it's even a bit early for me to have a beer. Um, not It wouldn't be the first time I've had a beer while we've done a podcast, but I, I decided against it and just grabbed the first thing that was all, already prepared. So, oh, um, Okay, well, you're forgiven. That, that, on a, this is the... Uh, on a side is, note. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to I love London Pride. It's the best beer I've that's, ever tasted. That's um, one of the, that's one of the well, beers I do miss. I've drunk it on draft in London itself when my ship was in... Uh, the the pool of London tied up against the HMS Belfast and uh, the pubs all around that area serve London Pride on tap and it is really good on draft but it also mm. carries well in a bottle however yeah, yeah. Brains Skull Attack is oh, also yeah. really really good Brains essay yeah yeah, yeah. I, I talked about that a, a, a couple of weeks ago anyway sorry Johnny yes we're <laughs> okay. well, kicked off but okay. uh, one the more listeners thing. love it my, it's fine my, my Spanish grandmother, step-grandmother, Abuela, with the walnuts, she was uh, a, a, a formidable woman, and she could put two walnuts in the palm of her hand and just crush them to crack them open like that. And I carried on with that and because I aspired to be that strong. And <laughs> it's not like cracking them with your thighs, of course, but... <laughs> no, I guess not. Um, speaking yeah, anyway. of rewriting history, uh, you, to the to your point of rewriting history, and Vince mentioned the ONS. This is what they're doing now to reclassify death statistics and um, all cause mortality and excess death statistics. During and since the coronavirus pandemic, we've generally seen more people die than we'd expect. We call these deaths above average excess deaths. Different organisations have used different ways to calculate this, each with merit and particular uses for example, for planning health interventions and identifying emerging threats. In the spirit of continuous improvement, we've been working with independent experts and those across government and the devolved nations to develop a common UK-wide approach. Using our new approach, today's release estimates 11,000 excess deaths in 2023. While this is lower than our previous estimate, our new method accounts for the growth and ageing of the population. These are key factors in understanding how many deaths we'd expect to see and whether the number of deaths is below or above this estimate. Looking more closely at the last months of 2023, there were actually negative excess deaths, meaning fewer deaths than average being registered. Further back across the pandemic, the trends and peaks in excess deaths are the same using the new method as they were under the old. It's important to note that our estimates of excess deaths are just that, estimates. They can't be counted individually, unlike death registrations, which haven't changed. Well, thanks for explaining all that to us. If she was male, she could be accused of mansplaining in the way that that was uh, put across to us in a very patronising fashion. But there's a couple of things to consider. As each set of statistics is based on the previous years, then when deaths went up, the next year is saying that, that we've now got a, a negative number of excess deaths, fewer excess deaths. Have those previous years increased number of deaths uh, included in the calculation? The, it was a critical point. The rollout of the mRNA gene therapies was a critical point at which that then changes all the calculations and statistics thereafter. But there's reports to say that now, since that statement, the excess deaths was actually 30,000 people greater than the ONS were stating. Again, we talked about it in prep, didn't, 
or did we talk about it at the start of this? Um, uh, it's, it all runs together. From, from the Daily Fail, again, where was I going with that? It, it, I've got, I, yeah, go on. What, what I would say is, up until everyone started to talk about excess deaths, there was nothing wrong. So it wasn't broken. We didn't need to fix it. And organizations like YouTube were suppressing people that were, were, were talking about that. They were getting comments turned off on their videos. And they were getting videos taken down. Then I think they said you can talk about it. And I think it's about the time they said you can also now you can also now call into question Joe Biden's winning of the election in America. That was kind of at the same time they said, now you can talk about these things. So people started talking about excess deaths. And all of a sudden then the ONS come up and say, well, we're going to redo the we're going to redo the calculation. And funny old thing, it ends up that it's reduced it. Well, we actually yeah. the, a lot of these policies <clears throat> you're talking about, uh, and I know that they changed all of these things uh, exactly as you're saying, but a lot of it is still actually going on. We had somebody post one of our podcasts about this, you know, reporting the statistics and, and talking about adverse side effects and things that Pfizer actually was ordered by the courts to release. And we were discussing mm. uh, something to that effect uh, and everything that was in uh, the documents that were to be uh, their initial uh, time period to, to have that uh, repressed was 75 years, but they were ordered to release That's right. it. That's and right, yeah. we got pulled off of YouTube within an hour. Uh, somebody put one of our podcasts up on there and within an hour, we were removed. Yeah. We were cited yeah. as having uh, stated medical misinformation. Yeah. Yeah, the, the pe there are people who are being being taken down off YouTube for, for medical misinformation. All they're doing is they're regurgitating CDC and ONS st statistics. Yeah, that's so it's all like, we were doing. I'm, I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm just telling you what the government organizations are telling me, and you're taking it down because you think it makes it it looks bad. It looks bad. Yeah, it's crap. Yeah, terrible. If, if I may, to go back to you know the the title of this section about rewriting history, you can only really rewrite history once all those people with a lived experience of that event are no longer with us. Unless, of course, you can put something out into the public domain that people will just absorb and take in. And I think that's what this docudrama is all, is all about. It's about setting, gelling uh, the people's concept of, of what happened during the pandemic and particularly the bad side of the Tory government in charge at the time because they want a Labour government to be in next because that flip will allow them to do whatever the rest of their, their plan is to get people like Starmer into the top job and to, to flip it over to the, the left wing. So it doesn't paint the Tories in a good light, and they don't deserve to be painted in a good light, but the actual truth about what was happening isn't really being covered in the docudrama itself. It is feeding on that fear porn that we were fed a diet of. Well, um, we are out of time today, gentlemen. It's been an absolute pleasure. We are going to have to uh, call this one... Uh, to a close. I look forward to seeing uh, one, possibly two of you again next week. And uh, Vince, you and I are setting up something for a couple of weeks from now uh, to talk yes. about uh, longevity and things like that. I would really love to get into some of that stuff with you because I'm I'm looking to take notes and, and learn a lot because you've really got my oh, okay. mind working about a lot of this stuff. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to hearing that. So we will go ahead and start to round out here. But before we go, if you like the content that you're hearing, if you are interested in supporting the work that we do by either becoming one of our paid subscribers for additional 
additional content and or contributing a small donation to us, we would greatly appreciate that. The link will be in the program description down below. We will go ahead and call this one done, gentlemen. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'd like to thank you both for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening. Thank you.